fire. John chapter number 5 in our Bibles this morning. And uh, notice there in verse number 1, the Bible says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up of his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you would work in this service. Uh, give us ears to hear. Father, I pray that, that really uh, your word would transform us this morning. Lord, I know some have come and they've got burdens that they bear. Others, uh, Lord, may be tired or whatever it may be. But Father, I pray today that we would listen on purpose. God, I pray that this passage would come alive. And I'm praying your Holy Spirit would work in my heart as well as the hearts of these, your people, that have gathered to hear it preached. Would you move, Father, in a powerful way? Uh, Lord, if there's one today that's never been saved, I pray that they would no longer delay. Pray they wouldn't put it off. I pray today would be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been going through the book of John on Sunday mornings, and I find it uh, very uh, ironic how, how fitting it is that as we've gone through the, the first, five, uh, first four chapters, now we enter the fifth chapter, uh, how ironic it is that over and over and over again, Jesus makes a statement that he is the promised Messiah. And you understand the purpose of Christ coming, and we've highlighted it before, was not just for the miracle of Cana of Galilee. And uh, in the next chapter, the chapters that come, it's just not for the healing of the impotent man. It's just not for the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the raging sea and calming that storm. It's, it's just not for the blind man and Nicodemus to hear that message preached. But the purpose of Christ coming is for the people to listen and to recognize that Christ is the promised Messiah. Uh, let me say this morning that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Jesus is not Muhammad. Jesus was not, uh, he was not uh, Confucius. He was not a great teacher. Uh, he was not some great individual that, that came along to reform and a, refor a, re a reformationist. But no, Jesus Christ came to be the Savior of the world. The Bible says that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And all through these four chapters and now into the fifth chapter of John, Jesus has made it a abundantly clear that he is the promised Messiah. He said in John 1 29, John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He said in John 1 41, he, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found a Messiah. So it was Andrew. He found his brother in John 1 49. Uh, it, was, uh, it was Nathaniel that said, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. In John 2 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee 
and manifested forth his glory. There at that wedding of Cana, the servants acknowledged that he was the Messiah. They saw Christ for who he was. In John 2, 19, Jesus, as the religious crowd was gathered, began to rip him apart. What authority do you have? And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Hey, very clearly stating that he was that promised Messiah. John 3, 14, in his discord with Nicodemus, he said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might believe. He was God the Son. He said in John 3, 28, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. That was John the Baptist. I'm not the Messiah. I'm the forerunner. John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him forever. John 4.25, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak with thee am he. Over and over and over again, Jesus makes the declared statement. There's no doubt about it. There's no way around it. I am the promised Messiah. However, Jesus now has been met with conflict. And it's happened before where the religious crowd, they've questioned him, they've, they've gotten mad at him, they've despised him, and, and, and they are moving toward Calvary. Uh, you understand, all of a sudden when Jesus was at a Pilate's Hall and the crowd was screaming, crucify him, it wasn't something that just overnight happened, but no, it was building for quite some time. It started with the religious crowd when they heard that he said that he was the Messiah. They hated him yet the more for his words and for his teaching. They despise him, and conflict has taken place, and, and drama is happening. And it's during that time that Jesus comes to John chapter number 5. And the Bible says here, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Remember, there was uh, three times a year the Jewish men were required to go and worship there in the temple. Uh, the Passover, this is most likely not the Passover feast, but it would have been a, another feast that the Lord had gone up to. And uh, feasts were big things. Man, it was a big time of worship. It was a time of fellowship. It was a time of food. It was a time of, of, uh, of hearing the word of God again proclaimed. And uh, everybody is at this feast. And Jesus, like all good Jewish citizens, uh, make their way, made their way up to the feast, made their way to Jerusalem to participate in that service. And the Bible says as he enters into the gate of Jerusalem, and verse number two, it says, And there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongues Bethsaida, having five porches. Jesus enters through the sheep gate. Uh, many of you, well, as I look out of the crowd, probably half of you uh, were here last year when we preached through the book of Nehemiah. And I don't know if you remember, but we preached about uh, the, the different gates in Nehemiah, the different uh, symbols that they, that they signified and testified of. But uh, in, the, in the story of Nehemiah, as they rebuilt the wall, uh, it starts with the sheep gate. And this was a gate that was designed for, for the shepherds to lead those sheep into the temple to uh, be slaughtered and sacrificed. And uh, there was a special gate designed for the sheep. And uh, what a wonderful picture that the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he is our shepherd, but Jesus Christ was also a humble sheep. And uh, man, Jesus Christ enters through the sheep gate. And I'm so thankful today that we have a Savior 
that was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I'm so thankful that our Savior became meek and lowly, and He's willing to be that sacrifice for our sins. Jesus comes through that sheep gate, and uh, and and this story begins to unfold. In the first, uh, in, in the first uh, verse two through verse number five, Jesus points out and, and really illustrates the, uh, the the religious blindness of the Jews. The Jews were stuck with their law. They were stuck on their traditions. They were stuck on, this is how we've done it for so many years. We, we, we are right and everybody else is wrong. And Jesus comes along to not only to preach the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And, and yet they were blinded by their religion. Let me just say this morning, religion will blind you. Religion will blind you. Think about, uh, if you think about all the different religions of this world. And, uh, and I, think about, I think about you go over to India, the Hindus. Boy, what do they have? They have their prayer wheel, and they have their meditation, and, and uh, boy, their goal is to reach another nirvana, and their, their goal is through meditation to be more holy and more, more pure, and, and they're blinded to their, to their lost condition. I think about the Muslims. I, I think about how their pilgrimage to Mecca and uh, they're getting up early in the morning when they're uh, and praying to Mecca, and they've got their their prayer t- uh, ra- uh, 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 rugs that they roll out. And I think about how many are blinded by their Muslim religion. I think about the Roman Catholic Church. Boy, they've got their rosaries, and they've got their communion, and they've got their Hail Marys, and they've got their let's go to the priest and confess, Oh Father, I've sinned, and confess their sins. And, and by the way, we've got in our Protestant and Baptist churches as well. You know, my name is on the roll. My my daddy built this church my great uncle used to pass through this church and and uh, this is my pew and when I was 12 I was baptized in the baptismal tank and and uh, we got our religious uh, deadness and our blindness in our local churches today and Jesus did not come to confirm the blindness but he came to shine that light in the world uh, he came to show that he was the Messiah it says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven and so Jesus comes to the temple, he comes to Jerusalem to shine a light on their religious deadness. And as we see here in this passage, he comes to Jerusalem and he comes to the sheep market. By the, it says in verse 2, now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida, having five porches. Notice here the religious blindness. Notice the place where he entered. The sheep market was by the sheep gate. It says in Isaiah chapter number 53, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root of the dry ground. He hath no former comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. He was despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. It says in uh, verse 7 of chapter 53, he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus Christ was that Passover lamb. He was that perfect sacrifice that God expected to cover man's sin. Jesus Christ illustrates he's the great shepherd. He's a great sheep. He says he comes to that, there was by the sheep market a pool. Uh, notice here, we see not only the place, but notice, notice the, the pool is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida. Uh, Bethsaida it means, uh, it means mercy. And you understand there were a number of impotent folks that were lying around this pool of mercy. 
What were they hoping for? The blind, halt, withered, what were they hoping for? They were hoping for mercy, for the water to stir, for the angel to visit that, that pool so that they could jump in and their, their disease, their blindness, their lameness, it could be healed. And boy, they're all sitting around there begging for mercy. Let me just say that's exactly where mankind lies as a whole. Boy, we're begging for mercy. We need mercy. Mercy is getting something we don't deserve. Listen, I was in I deserved the lake of fire. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We deserve separation from God in hell because of our sin. And yet Jesus Christ was willing to have mercy upon me. When I was an 11-year-old boy, the Holy Spirit put me under deep conviction. I knew I was lost on my way to hell. I knew that Jesus Christ was the only way to heaven. And he was willing to have mercy upon me. When I lifted up my voice and I asked for his forgiveness, and the mercy of God was applied to my life. They were sitting by that pool needing mercy. I wonder this morning, has there been a time in your life when you saw yourself lost, blind, halt, withered, you saw yourself in need of the mercy of God and you by faith alone apart from works trusted Christ to be your Savior. Hey, there was, there was a pool of mercy, Bethsaida, but it says it goes on in verse number 2, it says in having five porches. Uh, if you ever study numerology in the Bible, numerology is a fancy term, all right? Numbers, all right? Uh, the Bible talks about different numbers are significant. And uh, they illustrate different things. For instance, uh, you've got three is a big number. Uh, I think about three days in the grave. I think about uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, body, soul, spirit. Uh, you've got seven, uh, which is the day of creation, the number of perfection. You've got 12, the Israelites, the, the apostles. Uh, you go through the Bible and many times numbers signify something. Uh, the number five in the Word of God many times will illustrate, uh, it'll, it'll illustrate grace and favor. Remember when Joseph uh, revealed himself to his brothers? They're all sitting at the table. All, all, well, there's 12, but 11 of them are sitting before Joseph. And the 10 oldest brothers, boy, they're all in, in a row. They're all shocked at that, how Joseph got that all lined up. And uh, Benjamin was the youngest. And Benjamin's food was five times what his brothers were. The clothing that Joseph gave to his brothers, he gave them all a set of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave five sets of clothing. Five is a number of grace and mercy. And that's exactly what these folks were doing around this pool. Men, they needed grace. They needed mercy. They needed somebody to come along. It says in verse number three, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk and, and, and uh, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. And they were waiting for that water to move. They were waiting for the favor and the grace of God to be bestowed upon their life. They were looking for salvation in the pool. Let me say there are a lot of folks that are looking for salvation apart from Christ. They're looking for salvation in a religious service. They're looking for salvation in a religious experience. For instance, Pastor, when I went to this meeting, I spoke in tongues. When I spoke in tongues, I was, I, I, I was lifted to this new level, and that's when I was saved, when I spoke in new tongues. They talk about that, the, the gift of speaking in tongues, that, that, that extra special gift. Speaking in tongues is not salvation. 
It's not a feeling. It's not an experience. I've talked to people, especially at Christian camps, when I preach at Christian camps. Uh, kids will come and they'll say, well, Pastor, when I, was, uh, when I was five years old, I was crying and I came to an altar and uh, Mama made me pray this prayer and I felt so good. And they're basing their salvation upon an experience instead of upon fact. They're basing their eternity on a feeling that somebody says they can have instead of the Word of God. Listen, our foundation has got to be the Word of God. Our faith is not grounded in a preacher. It's not grounded in a church. It's grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Is your faith in Christ in Christ alone? If it's not, you're standing on shaky ground. Your faith cannot be in a pool. It cannot be uh, with those lying around you waiting for a miracle. It's got to be in Jesus Christ in Christ alone. And so Jesus shows up, the crowd, by the way, don't you love how it says in verse number three, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folks. Folks, that's exact. Hey, you look out at Huntsville, 200,000 people, and, and, and boy, they are lost. There's a great multitude of impotent folks. Hey, when somebody's impotent, man, they can't do anything. Man, they're just laying there on their, on their, on their bamboo mats. They're just laying there uh, hoping for a miracle. That's it. Men in whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes. That's exactly what's taking place here. And Jesus shows up. I always love it when Jesus shows up and shines a light, right? So what does he do? Notice that we see the, the place. He shows up there. At, a, uh, at, the, at the, the sheep gate by the pool of Bethsaida, uh, five porches, all the things that stand there. Notice the people. There was a great multitude. The whole world lies in darkness and blindness. Uh, the, the Bible says, between the God of this world that blinded their eyes. The blind folks can't see. The crippled folks can't move. The withered folks can't work. And what were they doing? It says in verse number three, they were waiting for the moving of the water. What were they waiting for? They were, the religious system, they were waiting for the Messiah. These blind, halt, withered folks, they were waiting for the moving of the water. They were waiting for something to happen. Hey, can I ask you this morning, why are you continuing to wait without Christ? They were waiting for the Messiah. The, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Listen, it's not tomorrow, it's not next week, next month, next year, it's not when you're, you know, an adult or you're, you're on your deathbed. No, today's the day of salvation, and I see so many folks that will delay in their salvation experience. They're just waiting. They're sitting around, twiddling their thumbs, saying, well, I've got it tomorrow. After I do this, after I participate in this, after all these things take place in life, then I'll get saved, and then I'll follow the Savior. No, the Savior is drawing you right now. The Holy Spirit of God has you under deep Holy Spirit conviction. Then today is the day of salvation. But there they are waiting. So we see the place. We see the people. But notice the person in verse number 5. It says, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity, Thirty and eight years. By the way, this was this. It's, it's amazing how Jesus went to this certain man. Thirty-eight years he had been by the pool. Uh, now you understand this man was not born this way. Something happened for him to be uh, to be impotent. Something happened. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe he was uh, you know chopping down a tree and the tree fell down and he got paralyzed. Maybe he uh, maybe his arm was snapped off in a in a in a work related incident. We don't know exactly what maybe he got, was we don't know what took place. But for 38 years this man is sitting by this by this pool. A certain man. You know what's amazing? 38 years also illustrates the Israelites. It's no it's no accident, it's not coincidental that Christ picked that certain man. Why? Because that's exactly what the Israelites did. Remember they came out of Egypt. 
They wandered, in the, they, you know, they went through the Red Sea. They complained about no water. They complained about no food. And then they came to the Mount, Mount Sinai the, where the, they got the law. Moses goes up. They've got the law. These are the commandments. God says, all right, you're going to go claim the promised land. And yet remember, they came to that Jordan River. They sent the spies out. Twelve, uh, Twelve spies came back. Ten said, don't do it. One, two said, do it. And the Israelites heard the news, and they said no to God, and they wandered for 38 years until that generation. 40 years was a total amount, but 38 years after they had received the law was an amount. They had the law. They had the commandment of God. It says in Deuteronomy uh, chapter number 2 and verse number 14 that that was the amount of time they wandered in the wilderness until that generation died off. 40 years total in the wilderness, 38 years in judgment because of their disobedience. Here's a man. He knew the law. Israel had the law, and yet they were wandering apart from God. And so Jesus looks at this certain man. 38 years he'd been lying there. Look in verse number, verse number 6. It says, When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The inquiry, Jesus asked him, he said, Wilt thou be made whole? Let me say, some folks don't want to be cured. You realize that? Some folks, some folks don't want to be saved. Because they know if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. They realize when I get saved, my desires in my life need to line up with the Bible. They realize when they get saved, there's going to be a change in their life, and they're not willing to forsake their sin to follow the Savior. There are folks that are, don't want salvation because they know the consequences that come along with it. They know the change, and they're not willing to, to do that 180 and turn from their sin and turn to the Savior. And this, Jesus said to the man, he said, Wilt thou be made whole? You've seen it at Home Depot. You've seen it at the stoplights, Lowe's, wherever it may be. Uh, folks that will stand out front with that sign will work for food. Let me just say something. They're working, and they, when they hold those signs, they make good money. Uh, I think I told you guys about washing windshields on the street corner. There's great money in that. You know, I may have looked like a bum with a raggedy shirt and on the street corner washing those windshields, but man, I was making 100 bucks an hour, man. I'm telling you, you're not starving washing windshields. Hey, those folks that, that sit there and we'll work for food, you know, we're hungry, whatever. Man, most of them, uh, most of them don't. Now, there's some, okay? And, uh, and I'm not going to make a blank mistake, a blanket statement say all of them, but some of them, they don't really want to work. They just want you to unroll the window and give them $3, and, and so they can that, that's They don't want to change. And Jesus looked at that impotent man. He said, sir, he said, wilt thou be made whole? Do you really want to get better? Do you really want to walk away cured? Do you really want your life to be transformed by me, the promised Messiah? And let me say the religious leaders of the day, the Jews as a whole, they had their religion, they had their pool, they had their, their system, but most of them did not want to move from darkness to light. They were satisfied with the status quo. And so Jesus asked that man, he said, Wilt thou be made whole? He noticed in verse number, verse, number, uh, uh, verse number 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another step it down before me. I see the ineptitude of this man. He said, I have no man. Will you, will you be the one to help others come to Christ? Church. You know, the world is saying, many of them are crying out, I, I want eternal life. You, you, you realize suicide is on the rise. You know, suicide, you know what it is? It's a desperate cry for help. 
you see uh, teenagers running away from home, crying out for help. You see many folks that will start doing drugs and, and, and go into those drugs and those pills, crying out for help. Alcohol, crying out for help. The world is crying because they're missing the salvation that's in Christ and Christ alone. And you know what they're looking for? They're looking for a co-worker to come along and say, hey, wilt thou be made whole? And they're looking for somebody to come along, a family member, and say, listen, this is, this is your condition. By the way, they acknowledge it. May I knock these doors? May I meet folks? They acknowledge something's missing inside. Will you be made whole? And they're just looking for somebody to bring them to the Savior. I wonder, Christian, will you be the one? I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. God's looking for you to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. One of the missionaries said the last couple of day, uh, last, last week or so, he said we can either hate the darkness or light a candle. We can hate the darkness and despise the darkness and the wickedness that abounds, or we can light the candle and point folks to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no man to show me the way. I'm blind, I'm lost, and I need help. When we were over there in the Bahamas, it was a blind lady that came to the service every night. And uh, made she had a little walking stick. And uh, boy, she would, you know, before she would move, she'd run that and walking stick all over the place. Why? Because she didn't want to trip over something. She didn't want to run into somebody. Hey, you know what's a blessing for a blind person is when somebody comes along and says, let me grab your elbow and let me lead you the way. And, and boy, they lead them to their vehicle. They lead them, hopefully they're not driving, but they lead them to where they've got to go, right? Hey, folks are begging, please show me the way to Christ. I have no man. So we see number one, we see the religious blindness. Notice second of all, though, notice here this morning, notice the response of the beloved. Jesus said in verse number eight, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Don't you love the Lord? Don't you love his response? Jesus didn't say, well, you've got to go to this specialist, and you've got to do these many Hail Marys, and you've got to go and climb this temple rock on your knees with glass bearing in your legs, with blood all... No, Jesus didn't say you have to go and, and uh, commit suicide for, for Allah. He didn't say, you know, you don't have to... He didn't say, you know, you've got to go and do all... No, Jesus said, hey, arise, take up thy bed, and walk. I see here, and the Savior's response, I see there was three things that Jesus highlighted for somebody to experience salvation. And then after somebody has experienced salvation, there is the highlight of our response to the Savior. What did Jesus say? He said, first of all, he said, rise. What was he saying? Hey, you sir, you can't get out of bed. You're crippled. You've been laying on this mat all these years. You can't walk. Get up. Rise. What was he saying? Obey my word. Christian, what does the Savior expect from me and you? He expects us to obey the word of God. The Christian life is simple. It's not some hazy, foggy thing that we can't experience and can't do. It's very simple. Lord, if you say, if you said in your word, then I'm going to obey it. Someone said, uh, you know, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It doesn't matter if you believe it, but God said it, that settles it, now I'm going to obey it, right? That's what God expects from me. God's, God, Jesus said, rise, get up. This man that had no strength in his legs, this man that may have had deformed legs, this man that had troubles his whole life, Jesus said, rise, he had to obey the Bible. Let me say this morning, if you hear about Christ, there's never been a time in your life that you realized you were on your way to hell, Jesus was the only way to heaven, the only way you're going to go to heaven is by following the Bible. 
You've got to be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You've got to go the Bible way. Lord, I know I'm a sinner, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. I realize that salvation is in Christ, in Christ alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. I realize my condition. I realize who Christ is. I'm confessing my sin, turning my back on my sin. I'm confessing Christ. And now I'm going to walk in obedience to your word. It requires obedience to the Bible. Can I ask you this morning, has that experience taken place in your life? Let me ask you, Christian, are you obedient to the word of God in every aspect, every facet of it? I think about kids so many times. Many times kids will obey when they want to obey. You ever notice that? They'll obey when they want to. But boy, when it comes to bedtime, I know your kids are perfect, right? But I know certain kids, boy, they don't want to go to bed, right? They want to stay up, right? They want to eat candy. They want to, you know, whatever it is, right? What they, want, they obey on their timetable many times. Hey, Jesus didn't say on your timetable, rise. He said, no, obedience right now. To obey right away is complete obedience, right? So we see the command, rise, that was obedience to his word. He says, notice, take up thy bed. Number two, there was no relapse. He was laying most likely on a bamboo pallet that he would rest on during the day. You've seen those bamboo pallets where you roll them up, kind of like those bamboo shades, you know, that you roll them down and you lay down on them. Jesus said, rise, take up thy bed. Hey, reach down, roll that bed up. What was Jesus saying? Sir, you're not coming back to this spot tomorrow. But you're going to go and you're going to get a job. You're going to be productive. You're going to move on with your life. You know, there are many Christians that fail to move on for God. They've obeyed in salvation, but they're just hanging out at the pool of Bethsaida. They're hanging out there. Why? Because that's their comfort zone. Listen, God has not called you to, com uh, to be comfortable. He's called you to be conformed to his image. We're not supposed to be going back to Bethsaida. We're not to be relapsing. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Jesus said, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, pick up your bed. When one gets saved, they get a new desire, they get a new drive, they get a new leader, and they get a new purpose. Hey, Jesus said, your job is no longer to be here begging for food. Your job is no longer to hang out Bethsaida, waiting for the water to stir. You've been healed, you've been made whole. Now go and walk in newness of life. You know what that means for me? I better be making sure I'm walking forward, not going backwards. I was reading just briefly this, this morning. I was looking at a book about, um, about uh, purity. And, uh, and, and they were talking. This man just highlighted something. He said, you know, he said, he said most people, they talk about wanting purity in their, in the, over pornography. They want purity in relationships. They want purity. They want, but they're not willing to forsake it all. And they're not willing to be accountable to somebody. They say with their lips, I want victory, but when, you know, when it comes to the action, they're not willing to move on. They're not willing to be accountable. They're not willing to make sacrifices. They're not willing to, to have nothing to do with that. And Jesus said, listen, you've got to burn the bridges. You've got to burn the bridges. Hey, can I ask you this morning, are you going backwards or are you going forward? Number one, rise, obey the Bible, obey the word of, of the Lord. Number two, no relapse, take up thy bed, and then notice his responsibility, and walk. 
Let me say, folks, this morning, it's your responsibility to walk. You know, when somebody's baptized, by the way, if, if you're here, time out, plug for baptism. Some of you need to be baptized, all right? Uh, talk to me about that. Let's, let's, let's get you baptized. But when somebody's baptized, remember, uh, you, you, they're standing there, they give their testimony experience, their salvation testimony. And then the pastor grabs a hand grab, behind the neck and they grab on and the words are buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of life. When somebody gets saved, their responsibility is to walk in the newness of life. I am now a child of God. I am to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. I am to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I have been saved not to sit and stew, but I've been saved to serve. I've been saved to go on for the Savior. I wonder this morning, are you walking? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. Chrissy is nine weeks away from the baby coming out. And boy, when that baby's born, you know what I expect that baby to do? I expect that baby to cry, eat, have messy diapers, and to keep us up at night. Because that's what a newborn baby's supposed to do, right? But I don't expect Josiah to cry, need his diaper change, and need mommy's attention all the time. Why? Because he's nine years old. You're here this morning, and boy, you've been saved for nine years, and you're still a baby. Folks, it's time for us to walk. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to obey the word of the Lord. And I love in verse number 9 as it comes to the close. It says, and immediately, don't you love the description? It wasn't a week later. It wasn't a day later. It wasn't an hour later. Immediately, the man was made whole. It took his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Jesus Christ did a miracle. Why? Because the man was willing to obey the word. He's willing to roll up that mat. And he's willing to take the responsibility and is willing to walk. I wonder this morning, friend, where are you at in your walk with God? Where are you at in your personal relationship with the Savior? Are you born again? Or are you still lying by the pool of Bethsaida? Are you still looking for mercy and not finding it in religion? Christ is the answer. Jesus is the promised Messiah. It was not in their sheep gate. It was not in their feast that they were having. It was not in the mercy and the pool and the favor that was bestowed upon those poor folks there. The solution was the Savior. The man had to see the Savior, had to hear the Savior arise, take up that bed and walk, and he went on as a healed individual. I wonder this morning, where are you at in your walk with God? Today is a day of salvation, and today for you believers is a day for you and I to walk in newness of life. I wonder where are you at today? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And the Lord, really simple, simple statement. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Lord, we need to obey your word. Lord, we need to have no relapse. Lord, we're not going back. We're taking our bed. We're not going back to Bethsaida. We're going to go on for you, and we're going to take the responsibilities. Lord, we're going to grow and walk with you. Lord, I pray for your people that, Lord, I have not taken those steps. I pray today that today would be the day of decision for them. Our heads are bowed, and our eyes are closed. And just more to stand and have a time of invitation. But I wonder this morning how many would say, Pastor Schwanky, I know Christ is my Savior. I've been born again, but I've been relapsing. Maybe I've not been obeying the word, not rising. Maybe I've not really taken on the responsibility of walking and growing up in my walk with God. But God's dealt with me this morning. And there's some decisions I need to make today. Would you pray for me, preacher? God spoke to my heart. If that's you, would you slip your hand up all over the room? Good. Man, praise God. Good. God spoke to my heart. Good. Anybody else? Preacher, would you pray for me? That's me. I need to make that decision this morning. I need to own it. I need to be responsible in my walk with the Savior. Good. I wonder, lastly, would there be one that would say, preacher? Good. I see the hand back there. Good. I wonder, anybody else say, preacher, I don't know Christ as my Savior. Man, be honest with you. I'm lying by the pool of the Seda. 
I'm looking for mercy, but not finding it in religion, not finding it in my good works, and realize that my salvation is in the Savior. And this morning, I need to turn from my sin. I need to follow the Savior's command, the Word of God. I need to turn from my sin, turn to the Savior. I need to be saved. Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to get that settled this morning. Pray for me. If that's you, would you slip your hand up all over the room? Preacher, God's dealt with me this morning about my salvation. I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? Here's my hand. Here's my hand. Well, Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to all hearts. Thank you for challenging us. Lord, help us to leave different than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.